Well, hello, 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 my saints and my friends, my wonderful people, my family, my kinfolk, my loved ones, my members, my sheep, whatever you want to call yourself, just DT, ride or die, family, friends, whatever you are to us, we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in to Bible Study Live. Of course, some of you have already done it, but remember to like, comment, and share so they can go out to more people and they can see the wonderful Word of God, because God's Word is amazing. His Bible is amazing. And so we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into our lesson. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all who have gathered here today. God, thank you for those who are in the building, as well as those who are online. God, let us be touched and blessed by the teaching. Encourage us, uplift us. God, illuminate me as I speak. Illuminate them as they listen. And God, let us meet together as teacher and hearer, as teacher and student. Let us grow in your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we had uh, on last Sunday, we had what we call uh, Elect Lady Sunday. And so I'll bring that up and just to give a little context to that, so Apostle Mitchell, my father, he preached every first Sunday uh, for, for ever since I became a pastor. I thought it was very important to keep his voice in the house, and so we agreed that he would preach every first Sunday. So after, as he transitioned off the scene, and uh, my mother took some while to come back to the church after uh, his death, just month or two, uh, kind of just getting her bearings together. But she felt like the Lord was telling her to step up. And so we talked and prayed about it, and we thought that uh, she should take over some Sundays. Uh, didn't feel like she should take over every first Sunday like he did, but we were just trying to figure out what she would do. And so we fell on the fifth Sunday. So all fifth Sundays are now Elect Lady Sunday, unless... Uh, she says different, or the Lord says different, and also Wednesday morning. She teaches the Wednesday morning Bible study in person, and so that's what we decided to do. So, so it's it's beautiful for me to see her not just as my mother, but stepping up after her husband's passing, and saying he would want me to do more. He'd want me to step up. He would have encouraged me. So it's beautiful to see her living that out. But uh, before I move into the lesson that she taught. I thought that I would take a little minute to explain this phrase, this title, uh, elect lady. So many things that we do in the church, we don't do them by just happenstance. There actually is a purpose or a reason or usually some type of biblical tie-in to it. And this is not my doing, but this is something that my father uh, had designated. He never really enjoyed the title first lady because he would jokingly say, if there's a first lady, does that mean there's a second lady? So he, uh, he didn't like that title. He wanted something else, and he found this in the Bible, and we begin to refer to Lady Mitchell, Mother Mitchell. She has many terms, but we begin to refer to her as elect lady based on this scripture. So let me give you the scriptural context so that you can see it in front of you. So that context is this. is Second John 1, 1. This, this is John writing to his uh, people, the second letter. And so he, he writes this, the elder, which is the elder meaning himself, unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. 
So he uses that phrase. He was actually would have been much older than the lady he's talking about. He was at the end of his life, but he was writing to encourage them. And so this lady had some level of prominence in that Christian community. And so he was writing to her and to her children, not, not her natural children, but all her spiritual children. So I believe this proves that women can be in leadership. And so he called her the elect lady, called himself the elder and her the elect lady. He was the, uh, the elder and she was the lady that was chosen to lead at that time. So other versions call it the chosen lady. Uh, many of them use the elect lady, the King James. Once again, use the elect lady. English Standard Version uses elect lady. I believe the New Living Translation uses chosen lady. So for us at Deliverance Temple, she is chosen. Uh, my mother is chosen to uh, still stand, even though I'm the pastor and leader, she still stands in the role in uh, the face of the apostle, her husband, and what he meant to us as a leader. She uh, has that role. She has a role of on Sunday morning being the voice that shares the scriptures that reads, but also as the elect lady over our ministry. So that's that's the context for that. And just so you know that when we use these terms, we're not just grabbing them out of thin air. Usually there is a scriptural context behind them. So moving forward, let's uh, cover what she talked about. So she came up with this uh, title, and this is what the Lord gave her, Attached and Assigned. Attached and Assigned. And so when you're looking at that title, I want to give us the uh, full context of what that would mean, attached and assigned. So let's look at some definitions she gave us. So first we'll look at attached. It simply means it's to fasten or fix Join. That's the main thing that we usually get out of it. Join. Connect to bind by ties or regard. To actually fasten something together, affix it, join it together, to connect it. And so then she talks about this assign to give out or announce as a task to a point as to a post or duty to designate to ascribe. So you're attached and you're assigned. So when you're assigned, you're assigned to something. And here's what you're assigned to. Usually it's called an assignment. Something assigned, a position of responsibility. So when you put it together, when it says attached and assigned, so that we are actually attached to God, joined to God, a better way to say that is really God is joined to us. He's chosen us more than we've chosen him. And so we are attached to him, but we're not just attached uh, just to be attached. There actually is an assignment. There is something we are assigned to do. And so there's a purpose. Now, if the goal was only for us to get to heaven, there would not need to be an assignment. And so one of the issues that we have with the heaven teaching, which is nothing wrong with that because it's part of the reward. But if you look all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's not about man getting to heaven. It's about God coming to earth to be with man. So originally, God was in heaven, but he wanted uh, a representation on earth. So he created the heavens and the earth, and then he assigned Adam and Eve to the earth. They made some uh, major mistakes, or actually one major mistake, really. And so then there was issue in the earth. And so God tries from then on to get back to earth because he is the ruler of both heaven and earth. Now, in uh, before Adam 
messed up, the scriptures would say that God would walk with him in the cool of the day, in the garden. So he was coming to earth. So when we look at assignment, our assignment is earthly. Our assignment is to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earthly realm so that he can return because this has always been his place. And so the fact that the devil made a lot of headway because he used us humans to make a lot of mistakes, that doesn't negate what he wants to do. So when people die and go to heaven, that is really momentarily. God has always designed to create a new heaven and new earth where there will be functionality between both, that, that there will be uh, work here on earth. And so what we're doing now before we die is setting up his kingdom in the earth so that he can re- return. So we are attached and we are assigned. So there are many things that happen with our assignment. One of the major things is for us to have faith and believe so that he can return. Because the scripture says he doesn't, he doesn't want to return for a church that has spot or wrinkle. He doesn't want to return for a church that's all messed up, jacked up, broken down. We should be proclaiming his goodness, his power. We should be making headway in the earth. The initial earth is us, our bodies. We should be making headway in our bodies, accepting Christ into our life. That is the initial earth, him setting up his kingdom in us, and then us living it out in our natural physical world. And that if we die before his return, we have a place to go. But we're always coming back here. That's the goal, always to come back here. That's what the resurrection is about, is that God did not plan to lose earth. He planned that there would be both heaven and earth. So when you understand that fullness, it helps us understand why we have to stay in this assignment and stay attached to God. Because even though we're attached to God and God is attached to us, we live in a fallen world. And many times we get tricked by the traps of this fallen world. And instead of uh, advancing the kingdom of God, we sometimes advance the kingdom of darkness. So we have to learn. We have to grow into that. So she goes on to say this, uh, which is very powerful. The Bible contains 66 books full of instructions and examples on how to live a successful life that pleases God. So with that context, we're not talking about just a life that pleases us, a life that pleases God based on the assignment he's given us, which is to make his name great in the earth. So the Bible does that for us. And then she goes on to say this. I'm going to read that again. The Bible contains 66 books full of instructions and examples on how to live a successful life that pleases God. We must follow these instructions and guidelines if we want to please God. These basic scriptures define our assignment. So she's giving us an overview of our assignment. I gave us a real long, drawn-out explanation, talking about heaven, earth, the kingdom of God, all this deep stuff. But she breaks it down to just some simple scriptures that we can go to that define our assignment and why we should stay attached. So here they are. They should line up to what I just shared with you as well, though. So let's start with this first one, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, look at that. If the goal was just for us to get to heaven and forget the earth, why would we need to be a light down here? Who cares? We're we're getting out of here. We are escaping. 
And it's been problematic that we have taught sometimes in church an escape mentality that, hey, I can't wait for us just to get out of here, forget everything behind. But that wasn't ever the goal. The goal was for us to be a light here to make people think about the God that's there because eventually the God that's there is coming here. And if we've been a light, the people will say, hey, I want to know that God. When he comes back, hey, I want to be with y'all. I don't want to be in the fallen world. I don't want to hook up with the kingdom of darkness. I want to be a part of the kingdom of light because you're shining so much light. So let's look at it again. In the same way, let your light shine before others. What others? The others that don't know God like you know. The other people who are lost, our light is supposed to shine for them so that they may see your good works. Now, we're not, we don't want them to give credit to us for the good works, but we do want to do good works because the works will give glory to our Father who is in heaven, who's coming back here. And it's almost like saying, man, I'll, uh, I'll give a, a, a little bit of an example of what's gone on in my life the last couple of years. So there's been people who've been joining, connecting to the church who did not know our apostle, who did not know my father. But the life and the light that I share of him should make them think great about him without ever meeting him, thinking, man, he must have been a good person because of the life that his son is living, the steps that his son is taking, the light his son is shining. Uh, many of us did not meet Martin Luther King. We only know what he did, but his legacy left makes us believe, oh man, he was an amazing person. To make it even greater than that, we did not meet Jesus, but the life that he lived lets us know he was great and makes us want to meet and know him. And so the same thing with the father, except for the father is not dead. He's still alive and he still can see people now. Now, in order to meet my father, to meet Martin Luther King, you're going to have to die and go to heaven uh, because that's the only way it'll work. But with God, it's different. God can move through his Holy Spirit. He can move and, and come to us. So we want to shine that light to others. All right, let's go further. Let's look at John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if we live in him, whom in the God that's in heaven. So how are we living in a God or abiding in a God, or Jesus was speaking this, how do we abide in the Jesus who's in heaven? Well, because Jesus has access with heaven and earth. How does he have access? Through the Holy Spirit. So if we abide in the Spirit, and his words or the spiritual words, which are the biblical things, if they live in us, then we could ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. Now, this uh, brings a question. Well, does it mean ask whatever we want? No, because now that we understand the full assignment, we need to be asking things that are in line with the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of and so the scripture says this when it tells us how to pray. It says, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when a person comes to you and says, hey, I'm sick, will you pray for me? So yes, we do that because we know there's no sickness in heaven. So we're asking that they would get a piece of that heaven right now and their body would align up to how it is in heaven. So the question is, well, what if we pray for them and it doesn't happen. 
it's okay because we know if they do die, they are going to be with the Lord in heaven. And we do know they're not going to have that sickness. So they're either going to be healed here now or over there. Either way, we win. But we always choose to believe that it would happen here because we don't believe that everybody we meet and pray for that they're going to supposed to die. We don't believe that sickness is supposed to take every one of them out. So we always try to pray God's kingdom here. Now, he is the ultimate judge. He can do what he wants. And so we don't get mad at him when he does what he wants. But we are always looking to have a piece of God's kingdom, his heaven, his presence here. So we ask what we wish and it is done to us. Now, does that mean that we can't ask for things that we desire? No. But we always should check our desires and make sure that they are kingdom minded. So an example of that was when I was young, looking for my first car, I fell in love with something called the Eagle Talon. The Eagle Talon was a uh, purple maroonish car that I seen at a lot. And it was a two seater sports car. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I begin to pray for. I pray for it for about a month or two. And just gently, the Holy Spirit asked me a question. He says, if you get that car, how many people can you take to church with you? I got to thinking, well, it's only a two-seater. I can only take another person with me. So the next time I went to the lot to look at that car, I just happened to gently by the Holy Spirit look to the right of me and there was this Jeep that was beautiful. But this Jeep had four seats, and you could fit five in there. And it just dawned on me. God wasn't heavy-handed with me. It just dawned on me that if I was to get the Jeep, I could actually take more people to church, more of my friends' church. I could invite people. I could pick up people. And I realized that it's not that I couldn't have a two-seater sports car, but one car was more in line with God's will of getting people to know him. And so I swiftly adjusted, and then that became the car that I wanted. And that became my first car was a uh, Jeep Cherokee that I did take people to church. And then I ended up becoming a youth pastor, and I would pick up kids. And I realized that, yes, that was really more in line with God's will. Now, maybe later on in life, now that I've done so much for the Lord, he wouldn't mind me having a sports car. So it's not that I can't have things, but you just learn to pray things that more impact the kingdom instead of just impacting things to make you feel better. So you, you learn that as you grow. All right, here's another verse. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, that even explains it better than what I just explained it. It's nothing wrong with asking for what you wish, but what you wish should be in line with a loving others the way God loved you. And Jesus was speaking this in John 15, and we know what happened with Jesus. He went to the cross and gave himself. Now, none of us are dying for other people unless we are uh, in an emergency situation, and maybe we're military or something. But in most cases, we're not dying for other people. So how do we die? We die by being selfless, by thinking thoughts that thinks about other people. And number one, we already talked about it, by being a light for others. Help me to be a light for others. Can God forgive me if I sin? Sure he can. Sin is not a big issue to God. He's already paid the price. The only issue is that sin could hurt my light. And if I love others, maybe I wouldn't do things 
that would damage and hinder my light because I love other people. And I want people to enjoy the God that I enjoy. I want people to be able to go to heaven, but once they get to heaven, to be able to have access to the new heaven and the new earth and whatever that means. So when we try to overcome sin, it's not just so that we can be a better Christian. It's so that our light can shine. It's so that our love is not hindered. It's so we live the vision of our church that we communicate in Christ's love compassionately. How do I help an alcoholic if I keep slipping into alcohol every other week? So my growth is not because alcohol is going to keep me out of heaven. My growth is because I don't want to hinder the next person. I want them to have freedom. And so, and we, and we talked about that when we talked about better Christians. So we're trying to live our life for other people. That's part of the basic instructions for us. And the more we do that, we learn it's really what we desire and what we love because when I'm able to help someone else, it really helps me. I've learned it so much even as a pastor. People tell me all the time that the, the, how good I've been in their life and they're glad for me and the teachings, but they sometimes forget is that me giving those teachings to you is helping me. Me feeding you is blessing me. So God, when God asks us to be selfless, he's actually tricking us into being blessed because in his kingdom, when you give, you receive. The more you give, the more you receive. So he tells you, hey, I want you to help others, help others, help others. But he doesn't tell you that when you're helping others, really all I'm doing is helping you. It's really a beautiful uh, situation. And so that's why we want to be, to be attached to God and stay connected to this assignment because it's not our goal. But at the end of the day, it really helps us. You, you will not be hurt by helping other people. All right. So then she goes on to make it even more clear. If we remain attached to the things of God, it will complement and help us. What I exactly just said, it'll help us, but it'll help us do what? Complete our assignment. Well, what happens when you complete an assignment? Normally there is a reward attached to a completed assignment. If it's nothing else than just fulfillment, if you're working on your old car and you've been trying to rebuild it, put it back together, and you finally get it done, whoosah, that fulfillment of I did it. That, that feeling is an amazing. So even if it's just the feeling of a completed assignment, that's amazing. But many times it's more than just that. It's rewards connected to it. There's uh, uh, another levels. There's benefits. There's blessings. There's prosperity. Sometimes there's success. So many things happen with the completed assignment. So going back to it, if we remain attached to the things of God, it will complement and help us complete our assignment. It'll help us get the job done by staying attached to it. Now, uh, in our day and age, now most of us have some type of assistant on our phone that we can talk to our phone and it can give us stuff. We can tell our phone, Google such and such, or take me here and there. That uh, built-in assistant, they call it assistant or built-in GPS, it helps us do a lot of things. But God is so much greater than Siri and and uh, Alexa and Google Home and this, that, and the other because he is invisible like those other things are. But when we talk to him, he gives us answers. He doesn't always answer us out loud like Siri or Alexa does, but sometimes he just gives us stuff. We just It's there. We've been praying about it for weeks, and then one day it's just there. It just clicks. It's just the aha moment. 
And that's what happens when we stay attached to him. We always are attached to the source that keeps things well and healthy. Another example of that is most of us don't every night unplug our TVs. Our TVs stay plugged into the source continuously. And what we do, we just power it off by the remote. But whenever we hit the power button, TV comes on all of a sudden because it's always attached to the source. Computers are like that too. Some appliances, uh, refrigerators, stoves, they don't need to be unplugged all the time. Our phones, they need to be unplugged so they can be mobile. But other things, all they just need to be is attached. And then when it's necessary, it's always there. And so when we stay attached to the things of God, then the things of God are always there for us. They help us. We don't always need it all the time, but when we need it, it's there. You don't need your stove all the time, but when you need it and you click the knob, you want that thing to fire up. You want it to do what it's supposed to do. And if it's always attached, then it's more than likely it'll help uh, the assignment be completed. So then she tells us the reverse of that. If we detach ourselves from the Lord, then the, the assignment becomes complicated and it might not get completed. So here's a question we have to ask ourselves. If all my assignments are always complicated, if my life is always complicated, we're not talking about the challenges and the obstacles that we face because of the devil, because he's doing what he's supposed to do. But when we can't get basic things done, what does basic things done? Well, she just told us originally in Matthew that we're supposed to be a light to others. If we cannot even be a light to others, we can't get along with anybody. We don't like anybody and don't nobody like us. We don't, we're not a light to anyone. We, God never interrupts our path and brings people into our life or put, puts us to bump into people. We don't bump into old friends and be able to tell them about our testimony. None of those things happen for us. We hear other people talking about, wow, I bumped into an old friend and I was able to pray for them. And you're like, well, that will never happen to me. Or something happened and this happened. I had this issue and it turned around. I had this problem. It was fixed. That will never happen for me. It's a possibility you're detached. And when you're detached, you just complicate the process. It's not that you're not saved. It's not that you can't go to heaven. You just make things a whole lot more complicated. You ever talk to someone who was in a relationship? Now they're not in a relationship. And you ask them what happened to the relationship? And they'll give you these two words. It's complicated. That usually means that a whole bunch of junk that happened in the relationship they're up one minute, down the next. They're attached one minute, down the next. Engage one minute, not engage. You don't know what's going on. And they're being honest. It's complicated. Well, for us, with God being so available and so accessible, for us to have to say about our relationship with God, it's complicated, that means that's something we did. When it's relationship with humans, usually both parties have something to do with it. But when it's God and us, God ain't the one who messed up, so it's always going to be us. And so, once again, I'll say it again, as she said, if we detach ourselves from the Lord, then the assignment becomes complicated, and it might not get completed. I like how she says, might not get completed. She could have said, it's not going to get completed. Well, the reason why she says, might not get completed, is because when you detach yourself from the Lord, he doesn't go anywhere. He stays right there, and 
he allows you to attach back up with him. He doesn't move. We're the one who moves. When you unplug your refrigerator from the electrical outlet, the electrical system in your house doesn't get up and move anywhere. It stays right there until you plug it in again. God is the same way. So he, he's, he doesn't beat you up, but he's not going to go chasing after you to plug yourself in. Now, he will try to chase you to get you to come back, but you have to choose to attach to him. He'll wait there for you. So it might not get, com- it might not get completed if you never tap back in. So we don't want to be that place in our life where we never attach ourselves to God or reattach to God. All right, let's go to this verse here, or not this verse, this point. Anything that is only attached can be easily detached by our choices. So she makes that very clear. So then she uh, tells us about the prodigal son and gives us just an overview of what he did. And uh, what's interesting about the prodigal son, he had a right to his his inheritance. He wasn't wrong by wanting his inheritance, but normally the inheritance happened once the father died. Then you got the inheritance. What he was saying is, Father, I don't care about you, whether you live or die. I want what belongs to me now. But when you do that, in those days, it meant that you detach yourself from the family because you're treating yourself as if the father is dead because you want the inheritance before the father has died. And so you voluntarily take the inheritance and you go. You detach yourself from everything, which doesn't make a lot of sense because the source of the inheritance is a source of a whole bunch of other things. The food source, not just the money, but the food, the clothing, the shelter, all that was in the father's house. And so if you choose to only go after the inheritance before the father died, you're saying, I'm going to attach detach myself from everything just so I can spend this money. That's what he did. And we know he blew it on the scriptures calls it riotous living. If you don't pay attention to what the scripture is saying, people thought, think it says righteous living, no riotous living. He was just having a riot. He was party hardy. He was going all out because he was young and immature. But at some point, the money ran out. Because the inheritance is no longer attached to an unlimited supply. And the father's house is an unlimited supply. But he detached himself from the unlimited supply. He plays the fool like we talked about last week. Now he has no inheritance. When his inheritance went, his friends went. His women went. Everything went. And then he finds himself having to have a a job feeding the pigs Then he becomes so hungry that he's eating the same thing that the pigs are eating. And then the scripture says that this so plainly, which I love it. It says he came to himself and he thought to himself, even my dad's hired servants do better than this. I'm going to at least go back home. I may never be accepted as a son again, but I'm going to at least go back home to see can I work in the family because I can do bad better than this. I can at least be hooked up. And so he was going to reattach himself, not to the father, but at least to get a better job. 
But we know the story that the father was looking for him, waiting for him to come home. And the father threw a party for him because the scripture says this. The father said, my son was dead and now he is alive. Well, nowhere in the story does it say the son died. But here's the thing. The son was actually dead to the family because he was cut off from the father and cut off from the father's provisions. But once he reattached himself, and he was only coming back as a servant, but the father said, no, 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 you will always be a son. And that's what God is like to us. So if we detach ourselves, come to ourselves, wake up and reattach ourselves because he's waiting there for us. Now, uh, she gives this caveat here. Attachments can be negative or positive. So we see that in the prodigal son's story. Because he attached himself to the inheritance, attached himself to partying, attached himself to friends, but he detached himself to the only thing that would have provided him an unlimited supply. He came back, came to himself, and of course, his life was different from then on. But the lesson for us is just never detach. Yes, we can reattach ourselves, but let's not be silly. Let's not blow this opportunity to go through an open door by being foolish or lazy like we talked about last week. No, let's stay attached. Why? Because our attachment is also attached to an assignment. So not only if we detach, then the assignment gets detached and issues get messed up and all jumbled up and things get all crazy. So we don't want to do that. All right, moving right along. Uh, here's a question she asks. Will you be faithful to the assignment that God has called you unto? Only you can answer that. We never have to take on God's work in our own strength. So here's the beauty about the assignment. If we're always attached to the assigner, we're always attached to the provision that would help us complete the assignment. So God never asks you to do it in your own strength. When God says, be a light, he never asks you to be a light in your own strength. The Bible tells us he is the father of lights. So he is the provider of lights. All he's asking you to do is attach to him so that the light can shine through you. He's not asking you to be the light. Just stay connected to the one who has the light. So everything he's asking us to do, he's not asking us to do it on our own. He's asking us to stay connected to him so he can do it through us, so that we become the vessel. So everything he asks us to do, no matter how hard it is, he's always planned to provide the strength, the power, the enablement, the equipment to do it. If you go and you're going to work for the cable company and you're going to go install direct TV for customers, and then you go and you get the truck and you get to the appointment and you open up the truck and there's nothing in there. And you call the people and say, hey, there's no cables, there's no wires, there's no remote, there's no, nothing. And they say, oh, you, you got to uh, build all that stuff yourself and call me when you get the appointment done because you got another appointment in four hours. You'd be like, these people are crazy. DirecTV done lost their mind. They want me to do a job, but they haven't given me any equipment to do the job with. How foolish would DirecTV be? Well, how foolish would God be to ask you to do something and not equip you to do it? And so he says, hey, I got everything you need, but you got 
to stay connected to me. Now, let's go back to that scenario. Let's say the van, the DirecTV van, has everything needed to do the job, but you keep going in your own car and showing up to the job in your own car and then get mad at DirecTV because you don't have any equipment. That ain't DirecTV's fault. You took the wrong vehicle. You attached yourself to a wrong vehicle. Get out of your car because it doesn't have any of the supplies you need. It doesn't have the ladder. You can't fit the ladder in your little car. You can't fit all that stuff in your little car. Get in the van that was supplied by the company because that's where all the equipment is. Well, all the equipment is in the Bible. All the equipment is a part of God. All the equipment is at the church that God has assigned you to. So when you go to church, you're not just going to church. You're going to church to be equipped for your assignment. Some of the places you work at are filled with demons. So when you come to church, you're not just coming to get a lesson for Pastor Andre. You're getting equipped for the assignment to deal with all those crazy demons. And you wonder why people love you on your job. And they're full of demons, but somehow they love you because you are assigned to run off them demons. Sometimes they hate you when you first get there, but at the end, they love you. Like, man, when you come, my day just gets better. I just like you being around because you were assigned to drive those demons away. But if you go in your own energy, you're going to be a demon like everybody else. So learn to stay connected and attached to God. All right. So we'll ask you the question again. Will you be faithful to the assignment that God has called you unto? I'll just leave that question like that. Move on. He is committed to equipping his children to do whatever he asks. He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. She just said that and put it on the screen, but didn't give us the uh, the full scriptural verse context for it. So if you want to look it up, it's Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 is what it says. And in King James says it this way. He that began a good work in you, he is faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. All right. So let's look at one other thing that that we have, the Lord will never assign a task for you to do without enabling you. So we understand that. So here's Isaiah 38, one through three in the amplified version. So let's read this. She changes tunes real quick and gives us this story. In those days, Hezekiah, king of Judah, became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, for the Lord says this, set your house in order and prepare a will for you shall die. You will not live. So the prophet was the messenger of God. So now he has a message directly from God. Hey, I've enabled you this far, but your time is up. I'm going to give you a heads up. You're about to die. Go ahead. Set your affairs in order because it's over for you. I'm moving on to something else. God has every right to do that. We are living borrowed breath. If God wants his breath right, breath back, he has every right to do that. And especially if we are with him, because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when he's taking the breath away, he's only uh, causing himself to see us a lot quicker. So he has every right to do that. So let's look at how it plays out. Verse 2 says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. So in other words, this news didn't hit Hezekiah in the way of feeling good. And the reason why is because Hezekiah knew I have not completed my assignment to the full. I've gotten close, but I'm not done yet. So when I talk about heaven, me personally, Andre Mitchell, Pastor Andre Mitchell, 
I always say I don't want to go there right now because I feel like there's some more stuff I've got to get done. It's not that heaven wouldn't be amazing. It'd be much better than the junk we have right, right now. I wouldn't have to go clock in to work and preach and teach and clock in to work and do this and do that. But there's some stuff I just have not got done yet. There's some things that Deliverance Temple has not achieved yet. We've gotten close. So if it was over now, I would feel like, man, I left some stuff on the table. I left some stuff undone. All right. I was listening to a person who uh, got a championship ring as a sports player. They were playing with the Lakers, but something happened and they didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs. They played all the regular season, but they get, didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs. So when they won the ring, it was bittersweet because they didn't get a chance to go all the way. They knew they didn't get a chance to contribute all the way. They left something on the table. It wasn't their fault, but they didn't get a chance to go all the way. So that's what Hezekiah was saying, man, I don't know about this. And so he prayed, turned his face to the wall and prayed. So what that meant is even though God gave him this message, he was attached to God. And he was attached enough to God to say, God, if you can give me another chance. So let's, let's look at verse 3. He turned his face to the wall and said this, Please, O Lord, just remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and truth. Let me paraphrase that. Remember how I've stayed attached to you and with a whole heart absolutely devoted to you and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept greatly. Basically, he was saying, I'm not ready yet, God. I'm not ready. And he didn't have anything to say other than, God, I've been attached to you. I've done what you wanted me to do. Up until this point, I have not detached. I've, I've used the equipment to do everything you want me to do. And if you know anything about Hezekiah, he was one of the few kings that tore down all the, the uh, idols in Israel that they worship, worshipped and where they kept building idols for other people. He turned it all. He totally turned Israel back to God and did a lot of amazing things, and he just wasn't ready to go. And what uh, we know is that God sent the prophet to go back and say, okay, I've added 15 years to your life. And so here's the, here's the point of that story is there are some things that God will only give to you if you use your attachment. So she began to talk about sweepers and how sweepers have certain attachments for certain things, but they're not used all the time. They're like maybe spring cleaning. You pull out certain attachments. All the extra attachments that come in the box, we normally don't use them. We just use it to run the sweeper on the ground. But there may come a time where you realize, man, I can't get my car to the car lot, but I got this attachment on my sweeper. Maybe I can sweep out this, oh, I'm, I'm going to use that because it's, if you have the attachment, you can do it for extra things. So there are some things that God leaves on the table and say, only if you ask for it, will I do it. So he tells Hezekiah, hey, it's over for you. I'm going to do something else. But Hezekiah, he didn't ask for how much time. He just basically said, no, God, no, I've been attached to you. Look at what I've done for you. I've done everything I know to do. So God said, okay, I see what you're saying. Give him 15 more years. For you, who knows what it is? Maybe it is a house. Maybe it is a car. Maybe it is finishing college, and it looks like you're not going to get it done. Or maybe it is getting a wife or a husband, and it looks like that's not in the cards for you. And you go ahead and pray for it. 
You go ahead and say, no, God, God, I really want this. And you're able to say, I've been attached to you. I've done things your way. I've given you everything I know how to give you. God may say, okay, it's for you. Because he wants you to press into the things. He wants you to say, hey, this means something to me. It's beautiful when I, as a parent, am able to give a Christmas gift that really, really means something. Like when they really say, hey, there's a whole lot of stuff I don't want, but if I could just have this, I would be okay. I'll buy, I'm going to buy stuff for them anyway, but when I know that they're really asking for something, they're really desiring something, and they've done the things that prove that they should have it, it warms my heart to do it for them. So there are some things you're not going to have unless you ask. And the scripture says that you have not because you ask not. Well, why would God make me ask? Because God doesn't need it. God just, he'd much rather just have you in heaven with him because he's going to, he's going to take care of you anyway, and you're going to be able to come back to earth anyway. So there's some stuff you only get it if you want it, if you press into it, if you desire it and Hezekiah desired. So then masterfully, she goes to this uh, thing and she shares this and just puts it up. She doesn't go to any scripture, but she just masterfully shares it because Elijah and Elisha is the same thing. So Elijah was the mentor of Elisha, but Elijah was not just the mentor of Elisha. Elijah was a mentor of several people that called them the school of prophets. The only reason we know about Elisha is because Elisha took it a step further. Elisha stayed so attached to Elijah that actually Elijah is like, would you go on somewhere, Elisha? Would you, would you move on? And Elisha said, no. I'm not going anywhere until I get a double portion of what you have. Now, there were several prophets in the school of prophets, but only one of them said, listen, you're not going to last forever. And I don't just want you to teach me. I want a double portion of what you have. And so Elijah told Elisha, if you are with me when I go, which nobody knew when he was going to go. He's one of the few people, him and Enoch, one of the few people that didn't die a natural death. They were just caught up, raptured up. But Elisha had no idea that was going to happen to him. So Elijah just said, just stick around me. He was already sticking with him, but he was like, okay, stick even closer. If you're with me when I go, you're going to get a double portion. And so you know the story, when Elijah was caught up, he was snatched up by chariots of fire. His mantle, his cloak fell. Elisha picked up his cloak, and from then on, he began to do miracles. And it's recorded that he did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. But that was not something that God said, Elisha, you have to have. That is something that Elisha asked for, something he pressed into. And he was willing to stay attached to get it. Because what Elisha realized, the assignment that I have may be greater than what my mentor has because each age gets worse and harder. So I need more of what he has to be able to achieve. And so he asks for it. So what is it that you need that God is not just going to automatically give, but you have to ask for? And if you ask, you have to be attached enough to prove you're willing to do what's necessary to get it done. I can't answer that question for you only you can answer that question. But I know in my own life, there's some stuff that I need to get done before I die. And I can't just 
you chant for, or quesera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No, I have to ask for it and be attached enough. I have to care enough about the assignment to ask so that it can be done. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. So then she goes on from there and talks about roof. So there are all these things are lining up together. They are all conveniently working together to point to attached and assigned. So she tells the story of Ruth, and then Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi was originally an Israelite who moved to Moab um, because of famine in the land. While in Moab, she's doing well with her husband, and then things change quickly. Her husband dies, and then both of her sons die. So she's a widow, and both of her sons die. Now, just off the top of my head, I can't remember. I believe it was um, war that, that they died in, but it could have been something else. It could have been uh, famine and sickness, but I think it, it was war. But either way... She loses her husband and her sons, and the deaths come pretty quick together. And so now the only thing is left is her and her two daughter-in-law. She had two girls who were, Mo they were not Israelite, they were Moabite girls who were married to her sons. And now everybody's a widow. She's a widow, but she's also lost two sons, and her two daughter-in-laws are widows. And she basically says, I'm cursed. Look, look, I was I grew up in Israel, the God of Israel, but famine hit. I had to flee to Moab. It looked like things were working well. I got a, a, a husband. I was able to have kids. Now all that's gone. And she's like, life is not good for me. So the best thing for y'all to do is get the heck away from me because it ain't working for me. And so Oprah was like, you're probably right. Peace. I'll see you later. Nothing wrong with Orpah doing that because there was nothing else that Naomi could offer. But Ruth had a different story. Ruth saw something in Naomi that Naomi didn't see in herself. Naomi actually said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. In other words, I'm not thinking about being better like we were talking about in the beginning of this year. Life has been so bitter to me, just talk to me about being bitter. And we don't judge Ruth because she was in a rough time. Grief will do some crazy things to you. Anybody who's been through grief will do some crazy things to you. And she lost three major people in a short amount of time. But Ruth was attached to her because Ruth understood my assignment is connected to you. So even though you're bitter now, broken now, hurt now, I'm not leaving you because there's something in you that I need. So I can't let you fall. What's interesting, if you look at me, I'm your pastor. But just because I'm your pastor doesn't mean you shouldn't have the same mindset as Ruth to say, hey, I'm not going to let my pastor fall or fail. I don't know if he's getting enough sleep, so I'm praying for him. 
I don't know if he's getting enough rest, so I'm praying for him. I don't know if he's stressed out, so I'm praying for him. And the reason why I'm praying for him is a little bit selfish because my assignment is attached to him. And if he falls, then I'm going to have to get somebody else to help me with my assignment. So, no, I'm sticking with him and supporting him because we all want to grow and get somewhere uh, prosperous together. That's what happens when you work together as a family. So Ruth was family-oriented, and with the ups and the downs, she said, I'm with her. If you go back to the prodigal son, when the prodigal son ran out of money, his friends left him because they were only there for the money. They were there for him. Ruth says, I'm there for you. Yes, my husband is gone too. Your son, my husband, is gone too. And my father-in-law is gone too. But I'm not leaving you right now, Ruth. You need help. I need help. We're going to get through this together. So then she goes, she tells this classic statement in Ruth 1, verse 16. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. In other words, stop talking like that, Naomi. For, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now, think about the interesting thing of this. According to Naomi, her God has not been good to her. But Ruth says, I still want your God. Because the first thing that we talked about that Mother Mitchell shared with us, one of the basic instructions is that we have to be a light to others so that they glorify the Father which is in heaven. So up until this point, to the point of this grief, Ruth has said, I like this God because through Naomi she's seen light and she believes in this God. Now things have turned dark, but there's been enough light for Ruth to say, I don't care what happens here on out, I want your God. And the only way I know how to get connected and attached to your God is to stay attached to you. So where you go, I'm going. When you go to church, I'm going to church. When you pray, I'm praying. Where you live, I live. I'm sticking with you. And you ain't, you ain't got to tell me not to, to stick around. You ain't got to talk about leaving because I'm not leaving. I'm with you. That was an attachment that was based on an assignment. If you know anything about the story, so... A famine hits Moab. And so Naomi says, okay, we're going to go back because I hear this. there's food in Israel. They go back to Israel. And that's where Naomi says, don't call me, Naomi. Call me Mara now because things are bitter. But it just so happened that while they were getting food, Ruth meets her Boaz. That changed everything. And her Boaz was a perfect person connected in the city, come from wealth. And he says, I'm taking care of Ruth. And basically anything Ruth is attached to, well, Ruth is attached to Naomi. Now all of a sudden, Naomi is blessed. And Ruth gets married to Boaz. Boaz has a son uh, named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. So the King David that we all know about, and from King David, we get the line of Jesus. All of that came because Ruth came back to Israel with somebody who thought life was over, thought life was broken. But Ruth recognized the God in her and said, listen, up until this point, that God's been good, I'm sticking with him. How about us? Yeah, we went through the pandemic and 
it's been hell to pay and all kinds of stuff has been going on. But shoot, as far as I know, God has still been good. That's why we keep playing that song, the goodness of God. Yeah, life is dark right now, but I still trust the goodness of God. I'm staying connected. I'm staying attached. I'm staying assigned. We would not get David if Ruth would have listened to Naomi and detached herself. But instead, she stayed attached. And then if you know the story, Ruth actually listened to Naomi and Naomi showed her, now this is how you get that man. This is how you get next to that man. This is how it all works out, plays out. She still allowed her to mentor him and everything changed. And later on in Ruth, you see where they were uh, calling Naomi great things because Naomi is holding the baby. She went from loss and now she's holding the baby. So if you stay attached in sign, uh, there's no telling what you will hold in your life to come. And so let's close with this declaration that she left with us. Since I am attached to God and desire to do what pleases him, then he will, he will equip me to complete the assignment that he has given me. I want more of God and less of me in 2023. A masterable sermon taught by our elect lady, attached and assigned. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear gracious heavenly father, God help us to never detach from you. Now, of course, there are things that try to force us to detach from you, but based on this teaching, help us to understand that the attachment is connect to an assignment, and the assignment is for us to be a light to others and to please God. So we can't give up. We can't quit. If it looks like it's over, let us be like Hezekiah and just pray and say, no, give us more time. Give us another chance because we got stuff that we need to do. We got people we need to reach and we got to communicate Christ's love compassionately so the world can be attached to you the way you want to be attached to them. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Kingdom blessings. We love you. We appreciate you. We want you to Tune in next week. Thanks for watching. Stay attached. Stay assigned. Be blessed. Signing off. Much love to you all.